latest Moody on Politics podcast, which I'm recording on Sunday, the 12th of November, and it's around five o'clock in the afternoon. I've just written a piece, a blog post that will be up on my website shortly to accompany this, which looks at last night's Sinn Féin leader's speech by Mary Lou MacDonald. And I apply roughly the same criteria as I did when I did a review of Michal Martin's Ordai speech the previous week. I look at it in the same context. I look, number one, at the political communications and look at it in terms of did it get his message across and what was that message. And number two, is to look at it as a piece of writing and as a piece of presentation. And so they're the criteria I basically apply to it. And I hope I'm going to, I try to be as fair, maybe not impartial because we all come with political biases, but I try to be as fair as I possibly can to it. And while it may seem odd, probably even discourteous, to start this critique of that speech by Mary Lou MacDonald with a reference to Sesame Street, well, just bear with me. Now, one of the great achievements of that landmark educational programme, Sesame Street, was how it borrowed methods of television advertising, jingles and other short segments to promote letters and numbers basically in the way that adverts promote products and sponsors. So each episode of Sesame Street ended with a message and today's programme was brought to you by the letter P and the number 5 or whatever they were that particular day. Now, if last Saturday night's address had such a message, it would have been just one word. This speech was brought to you by change. Because the word, the concept, permeated every section of Mary Lou MacDonald's 2,150-word address. Indeed, it was even emblazoned in big letters across the stage, in Gaelga and on the face of the lectern. People were left in no doubt that this speech was about change, that Sinn Féin is about change, and that Mary Lou MacDonald is about change. Indeed, it could be heard in various formats and contexts during the course of the speech. So you had phrases like time for change, let's make change, generational change, government for change, constitutional change. And even climate change, though, maybe the party was a little less convincing in that case. Indeed, there are only two other phrases or concepts that come even close in terms of their impact in the speech. And the first was the concept of Gaza and Palestine. They were mentioned about 13 times during the speech. And Sinn Féin itself was name-checked 12 times. Now, looking back on last week's Fianna Fáil leader speech, the, this programme was brought to you by message at the end of Michal Martin's speech would have been a little bit more nebulous because where Mayor Lou MacDonald had the concept of change, Michal Martin's was of people and services. There were other themes and concepts that worked through Michal Martin's speech because he also talked about the future and delivery. And indeed, like Mayor Lou MacDonald, he actually now checked his own party. I think there was about nine references to the script Mary Douglas um, was 11 times, I might have said 12 earlier, I meant 11. Now, turning to the mechanics of Mary Lou McDonald's speech, specifically the script length and timings, Sinn Féin's speechwriting team served their leader very, very well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the script length was roughly 2,150 words. Now, what I'm doing is I'm taking the script as was circulated and then adding in the little bits that she had lived during the speech. Which that was specifically about the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador and a reference to picking the right number of candidates the next time out. When you sit down and look at the speech on television, Allowing for the warm-up, by sort of allowing for the walk, the small walk-on and the introduction and all the rest of it. Mary Lou MacDonald was at the lectern for about 23 minutes. So that's 23 minutes to deliver a 2,150-word speech. 
So that means her writing team were basing it on a speaking rate based on no interruptions, no applause, no nothing of 94 words per minute. Now, by the way, she actually got 22 bursts of applause, including a very lengthy ovation on the aforementioned call for the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador. And and these were fairly sustained ovations. So when when Michal Martin, I think, had 23, and that took up about two and a half minutes, the ovations in her speech took up the guts of three minutes, and that left her with about 20 minutes of actual speaking time, and that meant her actual delivery rate was 108 words per minute. That's on a par with Nicola Sturgeon and the best speakers that I've seen. And I keep making the point that the lower speaking rate you have, the fewer words per minute, the more opportunity you have for a conversational tone, for a more engaging tone, and for basically for people at home to absorb more of the speech. Now, some of you might recall the numbers from Michal Martin's speech from last week. Now, of course, bear in mind, both of them had the same amount of a lot of time. Now, Martin's speech writers gave him a script that was half as long again as Mary Lou MacDonald's. Let me repeat that. Michal Martin's speech had 3,390 words. Mary Lou MacDonald's speech had 2,150. So that meant Michal Martin had a planned speaking rate of 137 words per minute. That compares to Mary Lou's 94 words per minute planned speaking rate. But allowing for the ovations and allowing for the other bits and pieces, Michal Martin at certain points was hitting 150 words per minute compared to Mary Lou MacDonald's 108. That's a punishing scale to impose on any leader to do 150 words per minute. And by the way, I don't think I did Leo Varadkar's speech the last time, but if you look at his last Fine Gael conference speech, his script was closer to Michal Martin's in length. His was just over 3,000 words. And that meant that he had a planned speaking rate of 130 words per minute. That's Martinesque in scale. And I don't mean this as too much of a criticism, but Leo Varadkar is not as fluent a speaker as Michal Martin. And as dearly as I cherish you all, my precious readers and listeners, there is nothing that could persuade me to go back and listen to that Varadkar speech and calculate his actual delivery rate. So let's assume it was closer to the 140 words per minute and conclude that both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil's writing teams need to stop approaching these events like civil servants. And what I mean by that is, if you ask the civil service for a speech for a minister, it will be very comprehensive. But they have an overarching need to include a section from every department, if it's a speech for a Taoiseach or a Taunister, or from every section, if it's a speech for a minister. They want to include everything in it. Speech writers from Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar need to start writing and behaving and thinking like communications professionals and keep the audience, at home in particular, in mind. Now, to their credit, the Sinn Féin team showed their grasp of this very basic idea by including what might be called calls to action in the speech. More than once, Mary Lou MacDonald directly addressed the viewers at home. She invited them to do more than just to listen passively to what she was saying. She unambiguously asked for their support with the specific words, saying, I'm asking you to back Shane Fain, and she used a variation on that at least twice, maybe three times. Now, this might seem like a very simple or even a crude technique, 
but it's a modern application of a very old political concept. A vote worth getting is a vote worth asking for. Now, the other area where Macdonald's speech scored slightly better than Martin's or even Varadkar's was in terms of structure. Now, there's an old truism that the best speeches follow a set three-part structure or system. Dale Carnegie explained it as, tell the audience what you're going to say, say it, then tell them what it is you've just said. So in practice, that means you open your speech by setting out what it is you plan to say. Now, you've done a couple of introductions and how it's great to see us and that you're all great people. But the next part you're going to say is, this is, tonight, this is what I'm going to do. This is the purpose of my speech. These are the points I'm going to make to you. That's the introduction. That's the beginning. The middle bit is you actually go and say it. Now, you say it in a little bit longer form, so you flesh out the points you want to make and you bang home those points. And then the third part, the end bit, is you then repeat and summarise what you just said in the middle bit. And this follows the classic rule of three. Jokes are funnier, anecdotes are more satisfying, and writing is more effective when you structure around three. And indeed, I've read analysis pieces suggesting that this is based on our instinctive desire for patterns and rhythms. But whatever the cause, whatever the rationale, whatever the background to this, it was quite clear that this rule of three was more evident in Mary Lou Macdonald's speech than it was in Martin's of Radker's. Now, I'm not saying their speeches didn't have structure. I'm not saying their speeches didn't have a beginning and a middle and an end. They all had three parts, but in Macdonald's case, it was far more evident. Her closing flourish repeated key lines from the middle section, and that allowed her to build to a big finish. Though I have to say, I still think the, the actual finish itself was a little bit overly florid and rhetorical. Indeed, the references to singing the anthem and let's walking or marching together, those metaphors, for me, they were a little bit too much like Leo Maguire and the Walsons program from his last day afternoon. Now that I've kind of looked broadly at the style, structure and presentation, what about the substance? Well, let me start with the biggest single section of the speech, and that was on Gaza in Israel. It took up 15% of the script and attracted about seven of the 22 rounds of applause. Not only was it the highest amount of applause she got, it was the most sustained. Because at one point she brought the crowd to its feet for close and on to a minute, so probably about 30 to 40 seconds in reality. And I think this is the section of her speech that was most exclusively targeted as the activists and the party members in the hall. Because as far as I can make out, the purpose of this passage was to calm their real anger, which had been triggered by Sinn Féin's initial decision not to back calls for expelling the Israeli ambassador. Now, I was on the BBC Talkback programme about two weeks ago discussing this. And that was the morning after a council where Sinn Féin had announced that it was not supporting a motion to expel the Israeli ambassador, indeed that it was abstaining on it, and that it was reserving its position for a future date, and they urged people not to proceed with the motion. That caused real anger right across Sinn Féin, particularly in the north, but also down here. And what, as I said on uh, William Crawley's programme on BBC, it's clear that the Sinn Féin leader is very much still worried and afraid about losing existing support. And while her grip on the leadership, and indeed on the affection of her party members, is not in question, the signal she's sending now is that she is not willing to lose any activists, even those on the margins, even those on the fringe of the party. She is showing an unwillingness to move away from policies that might risk losing support. That's a luxury you can have in opposition. 
But will it be possible if we were to end up a government even as Taoiseach? I very much doubt it. And indeed, I suspect there are some people inside Sinn Féin who doubt that too. Because although it might appear to be a rhetorical point, there's a lot of arguments against expelling the Israeli ambassador. Her need for that populism is not going to be sustainable if she would end up in office. Anyway, let's go and let's look at the other 85% of the speech. Because Mary Luke MacDonald's writing team has very kindly given us a section entitled Building Prosperity. And here is where they attempt to define what Sinn Féin is about. The actual section itself, which I'm going to play, is just 70 words long. It's fairly concise, but it's still overly long for a poster or a billboard. Indeed, it even concludes with the words, that's what we're about, to leave us in no doubt that this is Sinn Féin's core message. And here it is, as it was delivered by Mary Lou MacDonald on Saturday night. Resolving the housing crisis, resourcing health, providing affordable childcare, investing in higher education and skills, delivering infrastructure on budget and on time are key to sustaining our society, our economy, our competitiveness. Taking an all of society, all Ireland approach and nurturing Ireland's flair for enterprise is how we grow and protect jobs now and in the future. Decent work, well-paid, secure jobs, workers' rights, high productivity, the right to retire on your pension at the age of 65, that is what we are all about. And we Now, in my view, this is at one and the same time the strongest and the weakest section of the speech. It sets out Sinn Féin's priorities, though whether you can call a shopping list of around 12 specific commitments as a priority is another matter. The problem, however, is that it's a list with which very few other people could disagree or could argue or could challenge, because this is robustly centrist. So whether you're on the far right or on the far left, almost everyone would support the idea of providing decent, well-paid work, delivering infrastructure on budget, or providing affordable health and childcare. Now, a few on the hard left may disagree with the concept of nurturing enterprise, competitiveness and high productivity. And people on the right would question the commitment to retire on a full pension at 65 but the problem is for Sinn Féin is that government is about a lot, a lot more than wanting the best for all of us. Because most parties, actually I'll put it more bluntly, every party goes into government with an intention of making change for the good. Now we might disagree with what those changes are, but they go in there trying to do the best. But the problem in government isn't having the intentions, it's having the plans, the capacity and the ability to deliver on them within a budget, and budgets are the problem. In another section of her speech, Mary Lou Macdonald promised to deliver the biggest housing programme in the history of the state. The audience loved it, but the only hint of a plan about how this might be done came by the follow-up line, which was, we will roll up our sleeves and get the job done. The image of Mary Lou, Pierce, Owen, Louise or whoever else out laying blocks and sawing planks could be very, very entertaining. But I suspect we're going to need an awful lot more than 60 to 70 Sinn Féin TDs out on site just to fix the housing and, and rental crisis. Even as I uttered these words, and even earlier as I was writing them, did dawn on me that the voters will be far more forgiving of positions' lack of details, particularly at this point, 
then they'll never be about the governments. Indeed, I recall during the very first week of the February 2020 general election that I was chatting with a senior Fianna Fáiler on the phone and he was telling me that they, he actually thought the party already had Sinn Féin on the back foot in the early stage of the election because Sinn Féin's housing policy was being presented as if it was a plan to build 100,000 houses at a cost of 100,000 euros each. By the way, that isn't what it was. I know that it wasn't what it was, but that was a presentation. Of now, what he said to me was, look, everyone knows that's impossible. We have them. They're now in serious trouble. So I listened to what he said, and I could see the logic of it. But I had to tell him that when I agreed that voters recognised that you couldn't build 100,000 houses at that price, that wasn't the point. What I was saying to him was, listen, what Sinn Féin are going to get away with this because they're being ambitious. They're being a lot more ambitious than Fine Gael and more ambitious than Fianna Fáil. Because after years of squandering the economic recovery by Fine Gael and by Labour, voters wanted to see somebody try to do something. Sinn Féin's ambition, which we clearly was being overstated, was exposing Fianna Fáil's lack of ambition. Besides, I said, even if the Shinners were to be only halfway successful, even if they were going to get halfway there, they'd still have achieved an awful lot more than Fine Gael ever did, and that's what the voters were hearing. Now, I doubt voters will be as understanding of Sinn Féin's plans at the next election as they were at the last one. But the main opposition party has two advantages. The first is that Sinn Féin knows this. They know they were unprepared for the weakness of the Fianna Fáil 2020 campaign and for the possibility of a surge of support to them. Marilyn MacDonald as good as admitted this in her speech by saying we won't make the same mistake of running two few candidates and again. But there's a second point. They also see that the two main government parties have a record to defend while they can approach the election and ask to be taken on trust. Now the big disadvantage is that all parties preparing for the next election face what my colleague Jerry Howland very succinctly and almost chillingly set out in an Irish Times column last Friday. Because the fact is, no matter who gets into office next, the overall level of taxation as a share of national income is going to have to increase. Our corporation tax receipts are down. Given the demands, given the wants, given the need for, for bigger government, we're going to have to pay more in tax. And to quote Jerry Howland, Today there are two working people for every dependent, young and old. By 2051, that will be less than 1.5 working people for every dependent. And this is the change that is really arriving. End of quote. And while we heard no reference to this harsh reality from Mary Lou last Saturday, it will have to feature in Sinn Féin's election plans if they hope to be more than a temporary party of government in a short-lived government. That's my quick assessment of the Sinn Féin leader's speech. Put simply, to use that rule of three I said earlier and revise what I just said, I think it was a, one of the best crafted political speeches from a party leader we've seen in the last 18 months. It was well structured. It was well put together. The message was weaker, but the concept was still strong enough to carry it there. Because after all, this was a leader's speech to an Ardèche. It was setting out a broad stall as isn't the election campaign. But it does suggest to me that Sinn Féin's election campaign will need to be a lot stronger, have an awful lot more behind it than just this is a time for change. And that's why I still stick to the view, number one, that the election is probably going to take place in quarter two of 2024 and that the most likely outcome of the next general election is another general election.
but we'll be discussing that many, many more times over the coming weeks and months. So that's uh, the Mooney on Politics podcast for this week. Unfortunately, I'm traveling for the next two weeks, so I'm away a good bit. Before I get away, I, pro- I might try and put together a quick podcast and a quick blog post on the recent RTE primetime program on the directly elected mayor for Dublin. This has been an issue that I've been banging the drum on for several years. I thought it was a very, very good program. There were some lines that I've been uttering before that I heard pop up during the program. So I want to just do a quick overview of that program and where I see this going to over the next 12 months. Anyway, I'll hopefully talk to you on Tuesday or Wednesday. And if not, we'll be back again on air in about two weeks. So cheers. Bye bye.